So we are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, a humble people. Uh, when we say a humble people, I don't know how humble they were when you know, Paul's addressing them, but we trust that the word as it goes in you know, to, their, to their hearts and minds, you know, God is transforming them. And that's the exciting thing about the Christian life is God starts where we are. Uh, he starts and he's, and he's just so willing to come alongside of us in our weaknesses and our trials, our difficulties, our setbacks, and God is so desiring to, to transform lives and hearts and to bring glory to himself through those. But we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 27 today, and uh, we're going to be talking about why forego your rights. Why, why give up your rights? And we're going to look at the example of the Apostle Paul here, because I think that there's something that God would want us to learn from in, in this time. You know, this actually message is kind of dovetailing and continuing with what Paul had been talking about in our chapter 8, Don, last, last week, you know, had talked about, you know, this, this reality of, con- of dealing with people who had weaker consciences. And so there was people who felt liberty to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, and there were some who felt like, no, that would be kind of participating in idolatrous worship. And he didn't even actually take the time to really try and persuade a side, uh, one side or the other. But the big idea last week was that true spiritual knowledge shows itself in love. And so true knowledge of God and his ways is uh, always, always shaped by what is the most loving thing to do? And Don said, never use your freedom to violate someone else's conscience. So we see that freedom that we have is not always to be taken. In fact, Don said, just because we could doesn't mean we should. I, I wrote that one down because I think like, yeah, that's a keeper. That's a good one. Just because you could do something doesn't mean that you should do that. And so as we kind of continue on with that kind of focus on love and considering and, and cons- taking care of others and pro- uh, moving the gospel forward, uh, we have a big idea in our section today, and it's this. It says, the more important the prize, the more willing, you're sac- the more willing to sacrifice. The more important the prize, the more you're willing to sacrifice. So if you'll join me, I want to pray for myself and for us. Lord, we are learning to love because we are capturing in our mind and heart a better understanding of how you lived your life, of the God that you are, uh, that you are a God who really surrenders and lays down his own rights for the sake of the good of others. You are a humble God. You are a giving God. You are a gracious God. And to follow you calls us to live in a different way than what would be uh, popular or acceptable in our culture. Because to follow in your steps uh, calls us to a cross, to take up a cross when we follow you. Lord, fill our hearts with such a love and give us a greater satisfaction that is not because we got everything we wanted or everything that we thought we deserved, 
but a love that's really grounded in who you are and what you've done for us and who you've made us to be. Lord, we want to be like you who would gladly spend and be spent for the furtherance of your cause. Lord, help me as I seek to communicate these truths to your people. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to be accurate. Lord, I pray for the hearts of the listeners today that you would help them to hear uh, and that whatever truth, Lord, that you would have for them today to, to take root in their heart and lives, I pray that you would, you would do that. And I thank you in advance for, for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you a picture. You got it? There we go. Most of you recognize a swimmer, I would imagine. Is that right? If you do, raise your hand out there. Not as many as I expected. <laughs> this is Katie Ledecky. Katie Ledecky, you probably know her name. Her 20 Olympic gold championship, she has uh, 20 Olympic gold and world championship medals. They're the most of any woman has ever had. Her first gold was at age 15. She's now 24. She won gold as a 15-year-old in London. She went on from there to Rio. And she's just won several medals, two gold and two silver in Tokyo. And she's planning to go to Paris in three years. She says at least, and perhaps beyond that. How does an Olympian like this do that? How, how do they uh, win golds and live a life that would get them to that level of success? What did it take to win? Well, it takes giftedness. It takes support. It takes focus. And it takes sacrifice. For well over a decade. You think about this. If she's winning gold medal at age 15, what does that mean she was doing when she was 14 and 13 and 12? You know, I'm sure her life her upbringing was very different than most of ours. But the result was this, if I could have the next picture. The result is that she gets the prize. Because of her giftedness, her support system, and because of the focus that she had, and because of the effort and the sacrifice that she put in, this is what it ended up for her. I was reading, or I was listening to a, a an interview with her recently, and uh, they were asking her, how did the pandemic go? What did you do during the pandemic? And so she, she had moved to California to be training in California away from her family. She was going to Stanford University there when the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, the school closed down and all the public pools shut down. But that wasn't going to stop Katie because she found friends, she found a way to find somebody who had an outdoor private pool. Somebody's family had a pool in their backyard. And so Katie decided, I'm going to stay in California because the weather's nice and I could do this you know, through the cold months and I'm going to stay here and I'm going to train every day. So she trained through the holidays. She, she didn't get to go home for Christmas. You know, she was doing 24 100s 
you know, time trials on all those back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back, lifting weights. She said she would talk with her family. She would talk online with some friends. But she stayed on task. She stayed focused. What she thought might be a couple few months turned into a lot longer than she expected. She never got to go home during that time. Grueling workouts. To win, she gave up her childhood, her freedoms, her family, her holidays, her schedule, her travel. But there was a prize in her heart that was worth sacrificing for. A prize that still drives her to continue this for at least another three years and perhaps seven more years. But there is a higher prize than even a gold medal at the Olympics. And this morning, our text talks about a different competitor, the Apostle Paul. And in Paul's race, he was competing, he was striving to an eternal reward, a reward that would transform not only his future, but would be an impact on the whole world. But make no mistake about it. For Paul, it took every bit of his giftedness, his support system, his focus, and his sacrifice. He had to surrender rights. He had to surrender all the things that you and I would take for granted or hold on to. And so I'd like to look at two points from our text today from 1 Corinthians 9. Um, Defending my rights, and second point will be foregoing my rights. So let's start off with for, for uh, defending my rights, and I want to look at the issue that was going on there in verses 1 through 6. You see, the Apostle Paul was on the defense of himself because while he was away from Corinth, he was being attacked by so-called believers there in the church and in the, in the area. They were trying to undermine the message and the authority and the influence that the Apostle Paul was having there. And he's going to start off this first 12 verses with 16 rhetorical questions that he's going to throw back to the Corinthians, kind of defending himself. Because he's throwing these questions out, not because he he himself is in doubt of the answers, but that he wants to, to, to nail stone by stone and point by point, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, and this is why I have the right In this case, it was to being paid, but I'm actually going to tell you in a few moments that he gave that up. A flow of rhetorical questions, Paul's defending the nature of his Christian freedoms within a context of his ministry calling. You see, he had certain freedoms, and just like last week, just because he could take those, the question is, should he take those freedoms? Should he himself in the light of his ministry. He's going to demonstrate, just like the last chapter, a loving sacrifice that governs his decisions that he's made. His freedom, like Jesus, was cross-shaped. There was a cross that was shaping how he used his freedoms. So we have, starting in verse 1, it says this. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? 
If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from, from working for a living? You see, at that time, if you were, a, if you were a, an impressive speaker, Christian or otherwise, a philosopher training and, and walking and traveling about, you know, if you were really, really, really good, you were being paid for that. People are willing to pay, you know, for a good speaker. But the Apostle Paul was not taking money. He was refusing to take money, as we'll see here in a moment. And so those who were against him were trying to undermine him, and they said, look, he's no good. You, you, don't, you don't need him to put any authority in what he says. This message that he brings is, is not that important or that powerful, or else people would be paying him for this. And so his defense is about, no, I actually do have the right to be paid you know, for my preaching and teaching. And so in his defense of his apostleship, he actually takes a more biblical understanding of what the apostle was. The apostle, the messenger of Jesus, it's that of the 12, you know, there was the apostle would, would have seen the, the living Christ, would have seen Jesus. And he says that in verse in this verse here, verse 1, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And then second, the proof of his apostleship is that he's starting churches. When he brings the message, when he brings the gospel into areas, people are actually believing that and responding to that, and churches are being planted and growing. And so this Corinthian church was one of those. He said, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So he says, look, you're the proof that I'm an apostle. <laughs> it's not just what I say. It's the effect that God brings about when I have come to you and to other places and have proclaimed this message. And then he goes on from there about this right he has to be supported. He says, look, don't I have the right to eat and drink? You know, other apostles are traveling and they're taking their wives with them, perhaps their kids with them, and they're being supported. And so Cephas and the brothers of Jesus and the other apostles, they're taking their families with them. Don't I have that right as well? So he's defending his right that he has in receiving monies at that time. But it seems like of the apostles, it was only Barnabas and himself you know, who were not doing that. Now, we don't know for sure, but, but it's been thought and it's been, you know, history kind of implies that perhaps Paul had lost his wife. Maybe she died or something like that, that he had at one time probably been married. We don't know. We don't know for sure, but the implications are that. But he's being attacked on the status of an apostle because he wasn't asking for financial support. And some are using that to undermine him. And he continues on the argument in verse 7. Uh, he's continuing his defense. He says this, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? 
Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written of the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? So let me stop there for a moment. So yeah, so he goes through what, what would be, uh, what the scriptures usually have as a lesser to a greater argument. Like, hey, if this is true about, you know, soldiers that they get financial remuneration, they get paid for what they're doing, or if, it hap- or, or if, you, if you think it makes sense that if you're a farmer or if you have cattle and, and, and milk cows that you can take advantage of that and eat the food and drink the milk, He's saying, look, even in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, actually, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, it says, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. They used to use these oxen to, to, you know, to tread the grain so that they can take the grain from, you know, from, from the plant. And they would, they would, because they were so greedy, they didn't want to give the, the oxen any food, they would put a muzzle on it, they would cover its mouth, so that's why it's walking around and around. It won't reach down and be able to eat any of the grain. And so, you know, God even put a, a law in, like, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to cover the mouth of the oxen, you know, so he can't eat. And he's, he's, he's appealing from the lesser to the greater. Look, if God's concerned about oxen doing that, are you saying that a, a, an apostle, the person who's sharing these spiritual truths and seeing your lives change, they shouldn't be able to receive from that. It goes on, it was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? And so he's just saying, look, it just makes sense. If the person is plowing or the person is reaping, he gets to share in the crop. In the same way, he says, people who are sowing spiritually should also be able to reap material things to care for the, you know, take care of themselves or their family. And then he kind of brings in his big gun at the end, then the conclusion, verse 13 and 14. He says this. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service Get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. And several places throughout the Old Testament, in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you know, God had set apart the priests and the Levites to work in the temple and to teach the people and to study the scriptures and all those things. So the way he had set up uh, the, the law for the Jews was, you know, these people should be supported. These people should receive uh, food from the altars and, and, and resources from the altars that can be trans, that could be made into income for them. They were given lands also as well. But he says, uh, "Look, don't we even have this in our law? <laughs> isn't this isn't this the Jewish law? Isn't this the way that it, it was set up to be?" And then he goes on and kind of pulls out the biggest gun. In the same way, the Lord commanded those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, and that's from Matthew 19, verse 10. And so he's saying, look, that is the way it was set up. That is the right, so to speak, of those who, who, who give their life 
and are, they're, through their calling and their responsibilities, that is that they should be receiving resources from this. And so whether in the Jerusalem temple, even to those who are not from a Jewish background or from a religious background, they understood that you know, this is the way it's even done in the pagan temples. You know, People who are priests, people who are serving like that would receive their income from that. And so he's taken all that time to defend his right to receive uh, income and material goods from the people that he has been sharing. And his apostleship you know, has been established through his seeing of Jesus, his miraculous works, as well as the establishment of these churches. But then he moves from that point. Um, he moves from defending his rights to foregoing his rights. And we see that starting in, in chapter, tw- excuse me, in verse 12, and then picking up again in verse 15. Gospel sacrifice. He says this, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He, he says, while he's kind of laying out a case that this is really the way it was done. This is the way, this only makes sense. This is the way that God established it. This is the, this is the, the pattern that God has set up for the, the care and the provision for his apostolic leaders, he said. But he said, but for me, I'm not going to make use of this right. He says, I'm going to endure anything that has to be done without taking your money so that I can't put any obstacle in front of you. Now, we'll see that there is something, that a boast that he has that I think he finds very, um, a lot of the reason why he uniquely decided not to take an income from it. But one of the, one of the, the reasons, I think, that the Apostle Paul chose not to receive his salary, so to speak, from the Corinthians is because he says, I don't want to do anything that's going to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now think about the the calling of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was kind of on the front edge of the gospel going forward into into cultures and people groups who had never heard this message at all. And so as he's going forward with this message, you know, one obstacle he saw is that he's going to be sharing this very different message of something they've never heard this before, or even if it was to a Jewish people, they perhaps have never thought of Jesus as a Messiah. And so he's bringing this message to these people who kind of get into, you know, debating and interesting things happening. And he says, I'm not even going to ask you for any money for this. I just want to tell you this thing. Because he did not want anyone to accuse him of, of just creating this, you know, this idea. Or, or he didn't want someone to just to, you know, bring an accusation that he was just in this for the money. And so I think it's especially important to Paul that, that he take away that argument against the message, that he would take away the argument that people said, how do I know that this is true? Well, one of the ways he, you know, he showed them that, that he wasn't going to be prospering financially off this message. And so I think he took that away. I mean, I think it also helped that he was single. <laughs> you know, if there were other apostles who had wives and kids, I think that of necessity, they probably, in order to be free to share the gospel, they probably needed that support as well. And again, as you read this context, it's not that he's promoting this as an ongoing example. He's just saying for himself, 
I'm not going to take any money for this. This was a gospel sacrifice because it says he did not want to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. This was his, his passion, his concern was that, that taking monies might be one reason why people will not be open to the gospel. And then he reiterates that in verse 15. But I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So he says, look, even though I just gave you a big defense on why you should be supporting leaders and why it just makes sense that we should be doing that, I've just defended that. I've just established that. I've, I've just given you a, a reason why you shouldn't even be questioning this. He said, I'm not telling you all this because I want you to start giving me money. Now, think about this. Now, this does not mean that Paul never took money. Because we already know from other, from other letters, like his letter to the, to the Philippians, that he thanked them for the letters and the monies that they had sent him. So this isn't like Paul's against receiving any resources. But again, I think because of the, of the nature of Corinth and because of the nature of taking the gospel forward, I think that he t- wanted to take away that argument. He wanted to take away that argument for the finances. So he received monies from other places, but sometimes he worked. Sometimes he was just a, a tent maker, and sometimes he used that to support himself and those who were with him. But he says here, look, I'm not writing this to secure any provision from you. I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. His boasting that he's talking about here is not that he's better than anybody else. Like, hey, I do this for free. I'm the, I'm the more spiritual of the apostles. He's not doing that. His boasting is so that he can tell people when they say to him, you're just saying these things for the money. And he says, I'm not even taking any money for this from you guys. So I think his boast was that he took, he took that away from him and that he was satisfied. He found a great joy and satisfaction in being able to give the gospel without any kind of financial connections to it that people had to feel like they had to pay for that. He goes on, verse 16, I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own free will... I have a reward, but if I do not, if, but if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So he said, look, my reward is I can do this without asking you guys for money. But he says, but the reality is I do have a charge, you know, my master, Jesus, has called me to take this gospel to, to, the, to the ends of the earth, you know, to the unreached peoples. He's called me to be a messenger of the gospel to the Gentiles, to the, to the people who are not from a Jewish culture, although he always spoke to the Jews as well. But he says, I, I've been given this, this stewardship by God, and woe to me if I don't do it. So at one sense, at one sense he's doing it and wants to do it freely, and another, in another sense he says, but the reality is, this is what my master's called me to do, and I need to fulfill this. I need to do this. So if I do it freely, you know, there's a different kind of a blessing and reward that comes than if I'm just doing things under compulsion. 
And then it picks up on this same idea of gospel uh, servanthood in, in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. I'm free, really, in one sense, because Christ has set me free and he has purchased me and he's brought me into his kingdom and I'm his child. And in one sense, you know, I'm secure because I'm going to heaven and I'm going to be blessed by God in heaven, he said. And so in one sense, I'm free from all the, the responsibilities that you or others may put on me. But I've made myself a servant of all that I might win more of them. He says, I've actually, I I like that phrase, cross-shaped, you know, freedoms. I've actually given up a lot of my freedoms because of the prize before me, of the calling of God before me, of of seeing and and hearing well done from my master. And he kind of, Brings that into more. It's, and by the way, I'm a servant of all. It's a it's a slave metaphor, but it was a voluntary slave, you know, that he had actually given up his rights. So he says this to the Jews: I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. So he's talking about the Jews. He's people talk about uh, the Jews as well as. Uh, God-fearing Gentiles who kept the law. To those outside the law, it became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So he, people who, who didn't follow any of the Jewish religion or any of the Old Testament truths, he said, look, if they didn't, if they didn't follow those things, they didn't believe those things, I, f- I felt like, how can I relate to those individuals as well? Because I want to win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I think he's referring back to chapter 8, where he's talking to people who are weak in conscience. So he's already said, look, I, if, 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 it was, if it would help out, I will never eat meat again So in, in those situations. So he was willing to give that up. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Look, if you're listening today and you've never understood that the greatest gift that's ever been offered to you is is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please, please let us know because we'd love to have that conversation with you. Because... Life can give you all kinds of blessings. It can give you financial blessings. It can give you health blessings. It can give you relationship blessings. It can give you a lot of material blessings. But our reality is that we, before we've come to God, before we've had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are lost. We are hopeless. The Bible says there's no peace for us. We are, we, are, we are longing and we are searching for something to satisfy our soul and we will not find those things until we find the one who says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. But he says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And that hope that we have are for those of us who've come to know Jesus Christ was a simple step of faith where we understood that Jesus is the one and only Son of God 
who lived a perfect life. He came on a rescue mission in order to be your substitute, to be my substitute, to offer himself as a payment for our sin. And that in earning a perfect righteousness, he could exchange that in God's court of law, so to speak, where he could give up his righteousness, an alien, a righteousness that is not ours, but has been given to us through faith in Jesus. And we have, have given him our sin, and he paid the penalty on the cross. He died on the cross for yours and my sin. He died. He was judged. The wrath of God was poured out upon him. And he was in that grave for three days, and then he rose from the dead. God raised him for the dead, so that you and I might know that this is true and that Jesus is a faithful and worthy Savior. And through trusting in him alone for your salvation, your life will be forever changed. There is nothing nothing in this world, there's nothing in this life that will ever satisfy you like knowing God through Jesus Christ. And if you put your hope in him, if you put your trust in him, you will be a child of God. You will know him, and his Holy Spirit will affirm that in your soul. And if you've never experienced that relationship with God through Jesus, and you've never put your trust only in him, please let us know, because we would love, love to talk with you about that, so that you might know him as well. And the Apostle Paul Because of that relationship with God, because he knew that this is such good news, because he so loved his Savior, because of what his Savior had done for him, that was the greatest prize is to know him and to follow him. There is nothing that is a more worthy cause. Even the Olympics can't compare. There's no promotion. There's no house. There's nothing that would compare when Jesus would speak with his disciples, you know, they'd be excited because they saw people raised from the dead and miraculous things happening. He says, don't rejoice in this, that's, that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And that is the, the greatest message that we could ever carry to those around us. And Paul said, if I can make adjustments in how I act, in how I talk, and how I spend my time, and how I spend my resources, and in light of what I would take as income, if I can change anything that might make someone take a little bit more, a closer step, or will listen to this gospel of Jesus Christ, then, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to become like a Jew. I'm going to become like somebody who's just under law. I'm going to become like someone who's weak. I'm going to see how, how I can relate to the person who has no religion. They're, they're, they're far from God. I'm going to adjust what I do and how I live and how I spend and how I, how I order my life so that I can see some of those people come to know Jesus. And he got pretty radical about that. The gospel mission we see in verse 24 to 27, he said this, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? You know, you kind of like, duh. In a race, you know, the runners run. He's he's making a distinction here. He says, look, the reality is, know it or not, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you became, you got in the race. You got in the pool. 
and everybody's kind of swimming, but only one person's going to win the prize. And in, in this case, you know, he's, he's, he's amplifying the mindset of someone who really wants to win. It's not like, well, lots and lots of us are going to win. We're all going to get trophies for this. And he's not saying that. He's saying, you, you need to think of it this way. You're in the race, and you should run this race like you want to win it, like you really want to win it. Like Katie Ledecky runs to win it. You want, you want to run that race that way. He says, Every, run in such a way to obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. So he says, I'm not just in it for activity here. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm listening, I'm trying to follow the wisdom of God to make the most of what I've got in terms of my resources and time and energy, thoughts, gifts, connections. I'm not just swinging around there like I'm really fighting here. <laughs> I'm not just trying to be busy in Christian things. I really want to win this race. I really want to win as many as possible, he said. So he said, verse 27, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I, I myself should be disqualified. Now, I don't think he's going to be disqualified from being in the family of God because that's been secured through Jesus Christ. But he wasn't going to just be foolish about his life either. He was going to, by the grace of God, make the most of the opportunity he has. And the reality is, you know, we see our weaknesses, we see our failings, we see like how often we give up, how often we quit. And you know, I think it's part of the Christian life that the longer you know Christ, the more you see your weaknesses and you see your failings. And so the Apostle Paul, who early in his ministry says, hey, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. By the end, he says, I'm the worstest of worstest of sinners. <laughs> because I, th- I think that we see, we see how far we, we fall short. And you don't have to be perfect to get in the pool. You don't have to be perfect to run the race. But you want to run and you want to learn to run with a little more intention, more focus, and give your heart and soul and mind to it, which is fueled, by the way, by a knowing of the, this is the prize I have. This is Jesus. This is, this is eternal. This will last forever. So wherever you are in your motivation level, you just start where you're at. Like if you've been out of the pool for a long time, you get back in the pool. And, I, and I'll tell you, you can get back in shape pretty quickly. You will. And you can I think Katie, by the way, she was out during the pandemic for just like two or three weeks, and they said, hey, how was that? Was that really nice? And you could tell she was like, no, I really wanted to swim, <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't swim during that time, you know. You know, the Bible says that God is in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this isn't even fully on you because, because, there's, because the Holy Spirit inside of you says, yes! And the fearful part inside of you says, I'm afraid. I'm going to fail again. The Holy Spirit inside of you is for you. It's for you to run. For you to finish hard. 
he's in you to will, to give you the desire. Even if you feel like, I don't have that much desire for this anymore, Greg, I really don't. That's okay. God's, God's bigger than you are anyway, so I'm glad of that. He's in, in you to will and to work to give you the power to actually do what we're talking about, or at least to swim like that and run like that. You know, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul, and it's easy to write off Paul. You just think, man, this guy is just, he's in a different league. You know, I don't even, God doesn't expect me to be anything like this because it's just, this is Paul, you know, so let's, let's not, okay, we, we know we don't have to be like Jesus, or we're, I guess we're supposed to be like Jesus, but we know he's different than us because he's God, okay? The Apostle Paul, I don't know, but he's kind of he's crazy, and he's kind of fanatical, and so I don't know, really, but you know, Paul many, many times said, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, <laughs> you can't think that, you can't say that, and a couple verses we have here, it says, it says uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, a little bit later on, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In these kind of things, he's not saying you, you're going to look exactly like him, but you know, his passion, his heart, his purposes, his motives, his encouragements, and all those kinds of things. He says, yeah, follow me the way I'm following Christ. In the book of Philippians, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul doesn't give us that, that out to say, hey, but that's Paul, and I can't be like that. No, I think Paul says, I'm just trying to follow Christ myself, and this is where I am on my trajectory, and maybe you're not there, you know. Maybe we'll never get to where Paul is. Probably not, but the point is, Paul says, I want you to imitate me and what you see me practicing and what you see me, uh, what you heard me talk about. And I want to let you know that God of peace is going to be with you. With all the fears that you feel about trying to live that kind of a life, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit and God himself will, will, will empower you and give you a great joy and peace in pursuing these things. The big idea, the more important the prize the more you're willing to sacrifice. If we don't see, if we don't see this high calling, if we don't see, you know, the opportunity that we have to finish well, if we don't see that, I'm not getting in the pool. I'm not going to get out the running shoes and go out there and run, you know. I did that when I was in my 20s. When I was in college, hey, I know it, I was like that when I was young too, so I don't have to do that anymore. I don't think so. This is Paul heading towards his 60s at least. 50s, 60s, and he finished pretty well. But there's a mission. The mission is the gospel to all peoples. Jesus, I mean, Jesus said it, one of the last things he said before he went to be with the Father in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's going to be with you. He's going to be with us. He's going to be, he's going to be for this. Following him means you're on the same kind of trajectory as he is. The nations here make disciples of all the nations. That's all the people groups. 
It's the, the word ethne, and it's the, the peoples, the different nations, the classes, the tribes. Not just that, hey, I know we got some missionaries in China, so we got China taken care of. No, there's lots and lots of people groups in China. There's lots and lots of people groups in almost every country. And so you can't think, well, we have some missionaries over there. Well, that doesn't mean we've fulfilled this yet. That's what God is, that's the passion that he left when he left, you know. That's exactly what the disciples picked up and began to pursue while they were here. And so, you know, I, I was uh, back in, in college, I was a swim coach. I... I had been a lifeguard for a while, and I did you know, lessons and things like that. But my job in, uh, between my, so- my freshman and sophomore year was I was a swim coach. I had a whole swimming team. I had little kids that were about 7 years old all the way up to 16 years old. Some of them could swim really well. Some of them were not very good swimmers at all. Uh, it was usually cold in the morning when we start practices. So everybody's like, I don't want to get in. It's too cold. And I'm like, get in the pool. (laughs) Because I want you to win the prize. I want you to win. And the thing is, we have an opportunity. We just sent sent out a team that are leaving this Thursday and so excited that we have to have people that are going to go to Mexico to an unreached people group. Because that's, that's the call God's put on this church for that. But we also have a lot of opportunities around us. And I want to highlight one in particular because it's the nations. It's our ESL course. Our ESL course. Because we have already had the opportunity to touch the lives of people from scores of, from scores of countries now. And people from different languages that you and I would not have an opportunity with normally. And I know of at least two this last year who became Christians. And I know that we had people here from an unreached people group, um, not that became Christians yet, but they, they came. And the reality is, you know, people's lives and their experiences, their, their schedules change. And so I, I understand that people are not available very much. But the reality is we lost some teachers this year. We lost some, ch- especially in our, some help in our child care uh, that we had. And we have an opportunity, not necessarily to go to these other countries, but to impact nations right out of this building, right from this place. And you're free, you're free of this. You don't have to do this. You're free of this. But the Apostle Paul, I think, would say to you, though I'm free of all men, I've made myself a servant to all. I'm going to become a Jew to the Jews. I'm going to become a... To the people under the law, I'm going to be like them. The people who have no law, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be that to them. I'm going to do whatever I can to be a part of impacting people because I want to see as many as possible reach with this gospel. And our reality is we have big desires as a church and big desires as a pastoral team. And God is not calling many of you to go overseas, but God is calling you to the nations. And some of you are praying regularly for them. Some of you are supporting people, and thank you for that. But we need help. We need workers because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so my question to you is, you know, has, is God calling you to get in the water with swimming coach Greg Gill 
and the team that we have, Diana, and the, and the team that they have? Because we can take you wherever you're at. If you say, I don't know anything about talking about other people, countries, that's how most of us are entering, by the way. And we'll match you up in a way that works with your situation. If you don't have every Monday available, maybe you have some of Mondays available. If you, if you can be there for this fall but not beyond that, that's okay. But we really could use help with, as prayer partners. We, we need some teachers and some assistant teachers. We really, really need someone to take some point on, on the child care because we have families that will come if their kids have opportunity to be cared for. If, if there's nobody to take care of the kids, some of those people can't come or they'll send one spouse and not the other. We, we, we do some fun things with food. I'll tell you, it, for anyone who has served in that ESL ministry, they have found that they get blessed more than all the energies that they put out. They just, they just, it's, it is a, it's so fun and so amazing to give your life to people and then just watch the joy and appreciation and love. Uh, they're just such longing, initially to learn English, but then when they learn and they get loved on by the people, they're really appreciative. So my question to you is, would you help us? Would you like to help us? Because we, we have one month to finish getting staff for the fall. And this is the list that Diana gave me um, of people that we need these people. I think Diana will be out in the, in the colonnade today. We're going to talk about this a few more times, you know. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk more. But if you're really interested at all, if, if God's tugging on your heart, you just want to find out, maybe this is for me, this is maybe for our family to get involved in, in some way, could you, could you do something before the end of August? Because we really, we, we really want to get ready for our, these guests and make an impact. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have opportunities to relinquish, to forgo our, our freedoms, our, our monies, our time, our energy, our comfort level. We don't want this just to be something we, we admire in other people, Lord. You, we, we, want, we want to be this way. We want our families to be this way. We want our friends to be this way. We want them to be, I want them to be rich in heaven. <laughs> I want them to experience the joy of, of, of laboring with you and being involved in your kingdom work. So, Lord, I pray that you would grant conviction and desire. Lord, the people, no one would do this under compulsion. Lord, I, I pray no one feel guilted into any of these things. But I do, I do want us to be provoked in our spirit by an example that, Lord, you started with. It was your laying down of your rights. It was you laying aside your glories in heaven to come so that we might know you and have this eternity with you. So, Lord, speak to us, we pray, and move in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.